Ronananian. If you're not getting what you want, keep looking. Don't look at price. Look at what you're getting. The car doctor. I would pull the master off and look to see if it's wet back there. And if it's not wet back there, then we got to ask the question, why, where did the fluid go? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Nanny and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls, your questions, your car. Let's solve it. Let's get on the air. Let's talk about it, you and I. And I thank you for taking the time to be here with us all today as we get to continue the journey of fixing all the broken cars out there in the country or around the world, really. I keep forgetting we are on the internet now podcasting and uh you know we have fans in australia and england and all points in between and you know there's some when i look at the podcast map there's some in norway there's a couple in south africa north africa there's you know of course i can't get a cup of coffee in my own hometown because nobody knows who i am but hey you know what you know worldwide popularity kind of you know, it helps the cause and uh, keeps you going and doing what you do. Um, if you're new to this radio show, I thank you. I am a, um, let me see, I'm a 43, 44, 43-year veteran of repairing automobiles. Uh, most of them is my own, you know, shop owner as a repair shop. And uh, um, I've seen a lot. I've forgotten a lot. And it kind of comes back to me in spurts. I keep thinking if I manage to get any older, God willing, I'll forget more and remember more all at the same time. It's going to make for a very exciting uh, retirement if that ever day comes, if that day ever comes. But um, we're here to talk to you about your car. That's what this radio show is about. In some way, shape, or form, every car is repairable. Every problem is solvable. It just takes some logical thought and sit down and think about it and, you know, come to a kind of a positive conclusion about uh, what's going on. Um, there are some rights. There are some wrongs. There are some things you don't do with a car like this one. Good segue, huh, Mikey? You like that? That was smooth. So 2010 Subaru came into the shop this week at RA Automotive, a, um, a regular customer. Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper's out there. He's a regular listener and a regular customer, and I consider him uh, a friend after all these years. We, we, we get to talk from time to time. Um, I always know it's er because I always, get the, I always get the email that starts out. His subject line only has to say one thing. You know it's the weekend. Because his cars always break on Saturday and Sunday. See, he has Saturday and Sunday breakdowns. He never breaks down Monday through Friday. That's rare. His cars always, and like if it's real bad, his car will break down at 6.01 Friday night right after we close. You know, because we usually close at 4 on Friday. So 4 o'clock Armenian Standard Time means 6.01. Uh, you know, that's usually when we get out of the place. So, you know, this week it was, you know, it's the weekend and blah, blah, blah. And it was from Mr. Cooper. And I looked down, and it was the 2010 Subaru Legacy. And it seems that the legacy, being driven by one of his sons, that the um, engine overheated. And, you know, my question was, well, how hot did it get? Well, it started out with, well, the red light comes on, and it seems like it's overheating, but it's not all the time. We're not sure, and I'll let you know. And over the course of the weekend, I got three or four emails, you know, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's worse. Uh-oh. Like, mm so the car showed up Monday morning, and there it was, and it had overheated and run hot. And when I lifted the hood, um, I could tell that because the overflow bottle on a Subaru sits on the driver's side of the radiator, 
and it had completely thrown up. It was, you know, it was just like its first time at a fast food restaurant after fasting. It said, I've had enough of this, and splattered the whole inside of the engine compartment with coolant. It was like, oh, boy, this is a sick car, just like it would be on fast food, but you get the point. So, you know, where do you begin the diagnosis? You begin at the beginning. We pressure tested the cooling system, and it showed a partial loss, but nothing external. And not enough of a hard leak that you could say, well, is it real or isn't it? It was just right on the fringe. And the other issue was the top of the radiator was a little verschmuzzled, which, you know, my, my grandmother would say that's Yiddish for oops. And, you know, a little, and the cooling system pressure tester wouldn't really seal against the radiator. So, you know, are you fighting a bad tool, a bad radiator, a bad engine? Uh, you know, what is it? Start at the beginning, always. Prove what's good. Any diagnosis, put water in it, filled it up with water, tried to burp it. I, I did. I used the, the cooling system um, uh, system filler where we evacuate all the air out of the system and fill it up with water, filled it up with water, and started to run the car. Now, one of the first tests you do in a situation like this is while you're starting it, start it with the radiator cap off. If the radiator cap is off and the system's filled with coolant and you go to start it and the head gas gets blown... It should look like old faithful national geyser out at Yellowstone. Vavoom, because it's it's pushing air, it's drawing the air in through the intake and pushing it out through the head gasket, pressurizing the cooling system. Voila, eruption. We didn't have any of that. Okay, well, I said, you know, maybe we don't have a head gasket issue. Maybe there's something else going on here. And we continued, and it got up to the point about warm-up. Now, one of the nice things about launch, I have a launch scan tool. Um, among others, and I'm, I'm using my, my, my launch torque, they call it, and I've got it tied in through Bluetooth to a widescreen TV for two purposes. It's, it just makes it easier to look at this giant 36-inch television screen than this little tiny tablet, and you can keep your eye on other things around the shop. You know, you can, you can work on other things around the shop and keep your eye on the coolant temperature while you're doing it. So I watched coolant temp come up, 120, 130, 140, Hey, this doesn't look bad. It's a gradual increase. I put a coolant, you know, the yellow coolant funnel on the radiator, and I let it start to burp out air because there was still some air in it. It burped out a little air. And then all of a sudden it played like stock market the day the president gets elected, okay? It just climbed like twang. It went from 182 to 231 degrees, and I went, this is not good. Bottom lower radiator hose was stone cold. Top radiator hose was hotter than hot, Okay. Um, it seems like I've got something going on thermostat or an airbound thermostat. There's something cockeyed here. Violent eruptions, you know, now it's starting to boil over. And Okay. Shut it off, cooled down, took the thermostat out, and I got old-fashioned. I got high-tech old-fashioned. Got out the hot plate, which we keep in Third Bay Bench, which is just sort of there. It's the what if and the just in case. Um, sort of an efficient, necessary part of any repair shop. You can buy them at garage sales for three bucks. Ask me how I know. And we, you know, I have a, I have a science beaker, you know, one of those little glass beakers that say Pyrex on. It looks cool. You look like, you know, you know, Ivan the mad scientist as you're sitting there with, you know, you put water in, and heat it up and it boils. And we put the thermostat in. And the thermostat didn't quite open enough it you know just started to peek its head up off the off the dashboard off the pillow there like it just opened a little bit i said yeah it's not right took the new thermostat and of course i tested it because what is new me never ever worked and sure enough the new thermostat bam popped right open had a thermometer in there as soon as it hit 192 it started to open it was 
Put the thermostat in. Put a thermostat in it. Put a thermostat in it. Got up to the same thing again. Stock market, you know, right off to the edge. Overheated, boiled over the whole nine yards. I've got to have a bad head gasket. Got out the five gas engine analyzer. Sniffed the little bit of air that was floating around inside the radiator. We went from zero parts per million to 151 parts per million, which hydrocarbon gases inside the radiator... Yeah, not so good. So we've got a blown head gasket. Why it reacted in the way it was reacting, why it didn't show when it was cold. You know, I can only tell you what's broke. I can't tell you why they fail. I can just tell you that driving it with the hot light on and, and, and knowing it was overheating probably wasn't a great idea. And Mr. Cooper understands that. So when he hears this broadcast, he's not going to let his kids hear this because he doesn't want them to feel bad. So where do you go? What do you do with this? 120,000-mile, nine-year-old Subaru. It's kind of beat up. It's got a different colored fender around each corner. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a younger driver's car. It kind of reminds you of that movie Days of Thunder, you know, when Cole was first learning to drive and every, every panel was a different color and had a dent it, and they pulled it into the pits, and Buck goes to, um, I can't think of the, the pit boss's name. He goes, to the, he goes, hey, look, there's a door we don't have to fix, and um, uh, he walks up. Robert Duvall is the actor. He walks up, he kicks the door, and he goes, Buck, I don't want you to be spoiled. Right? Remember that? It's kind of like that. You know, every panel's dented except the driver's door, and I was tempted, but I didn't want to push my relationship. So, you know, it's a car that's it's, 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 it's not really worth putting head gaskets on it because how hot did it get? You don't know, and that's the answer. How hot is hot? It, 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 it blew all the coolant out of the bottle. It ran stone hot till it was steaming. Um, did it damage the engine? Here's a case for K-Seal. Poured a bottle of K-Seal in it, all right? Took a little while to massage it through the system. We had a burp air. Took a couple of days to get it to activate in terms of getting to everything because I believe this was an extreme case. But what a testimony to K-Seal. Even with as bad as this engine overheated to that point of, of an eruption, gave it enough time, worked it into the system within, you know, a collective of about two, two and a half hours of massaging the system, burping, adding, burping, adding, sealed it up. Third day, started that car up, normal temperature rise right up to 212 degrees. Fans came on, cycled down, burped one more time, shipped it. Car's gone. Now, if you're out there in the used car market and you come across this black Subaru with a primer gray right front fender, a primer gray left rear fender, eh, stay away from it. That's probably not the car to buy because uh, I'm not quite sure what happened to that car, but I think it's going away, and I, I can only fix them. I don't know where they go after that, but, um, you know, K-Seal did fix the car. Uh, you know, you guys ask me about K-Seal all the time, and this is no ad. This is the, this is the bottom, bottom line truth. Bottle of K-Seal in that car, fixed it, fixed the head gasket, normal cooling system operation, and it seemed like the way to go, and it worked really well for them. So uh, just keep it in mind that, um, yeah, you know what? There are other ways out there. There's more than one way to skin a cat, and, uh, you know, that car, my big concern, though, is what's the rest of the engine like? I don't know what it's going to do in 110-degree heat in July. How, how hot did it get? And that's the answer you don't know. Um, you know, will it have any other issues? So that's the story for today, kitties. That was the uh, the repair of the week from from me, and uh, just you know, it was just you know, just just one of those cars. Just uh, yeah, different colored fender every corner. It was just the funniest thing. I enjoyed driving it too. You know, it's uh, you look like a bandit driving that thing. It's uh, you pull the beanie cap down and you kind of sneak around the neighborhood. Anyway, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running any of the car doctor. I hope you're having a good time. I know I am. I'll be back right after this, and we'll open up the garage doors. Stay tuned. Be a man. 
whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Steve in Virginia, 04 Dodge Neon. Steve, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, thank you very much. I, the car is fun to drive, and I enjoy driving it just as you did your Subaru. Mm. So it's great. Uh, yes, sir. However, um, the best way to describe the issue to you is that the car runs in two virtual modes, two essential modes. First mode is as it should. Um, Gets great gas mileage, great pickup power, fun to drive, push the accelerator, it can go up to any RPM, has, you can hear a little whine, you know, the little neon whine that they have, it just, it just sounds great. Right. It has a second mode that it goes into, no rhyme or reason, it just, just doesn't. Um, the entire car vibrates really bad, the, uh, from about 1500 RPM up, uh, the engine sounds literally like somebody put a, a golf ball in a shot box. It says, and it gets terrible gas mileage. It sputters, like when you turn on the AC and just, you just kind of got that little hesitation that holds back, and it just sounds awful. Um, no engine lights light up, uh, and like I say, it's no rhyme or reason that it does it. Um, how, often and does, how often does it happen, Steve? I would say at least, I, w- I would probably say about at least, Two or three times a week. I, I drive it about three times a week because uh, I'm not really, I really cut back driving it since I'm not sure, you know, what's really wrong with it. I don't want to blow up. But yeah, it, it, I would say four days it runs great, and the other three days it, it doesn't. And when, it, when, it, when it doesn't run good, mm-hmm. is it, if you come to an idle at a traffic light, does it idle normal? No, it idles. It, it, it sounds the whole car vibrates. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the whole car vibrates. Steering wheel shake. Feels like the engine's running rough, like it's about to stall. Yes, sir. And then, and then, when it stops doing that, what do you get at the? Does it just straighten itself out out by magic? That yes. all of a sudden, bang, zoom, and it's yes, it's, sir, it it's, does. it's mm-hmm. correct and it's, and it's good. Can it just? Do you have to shut the key off to get it to correct itself, or or will it just? automatically start running better on mind of its own you have to shut the key off and the, yes sir you do you have to shut the key off so yes sir and, and it can, it's it's just the turn of the key you're just turning the key off turn the key start it back up and all of a sudden it's good that's correct and i can drive it i can start it and it runs great get to lows for example cut it off cut it back on and it runs horrible or vice versa. It can start out horrible and run great. It's just okay. no rhyme or reason, but it's always with a turn of the key. Yes, sir. But you probably can't replicate it such that a mechanic could see it happen. And that's why I'm calling you, sir, because I have, I have I have drove around the block. I've drove around the loop. I've drove extra miles. I've done everything I can do to get this car to go in this mode when I go up to my dealer or my mechanic, and it, it will not go into the mode. Okay. So let's, let's talk about a couple of things. Sure. When, when a car acts like it's haunted... Sometimes we have to be ready for it because we never know when it's going to get spooked. So if this was at the shop, instead of waiting for you to bring me the car when it's broken, I'd, you know, you'd have to leave it with me. I'd, I'd tell you, hey, Steve, I'm going to drive this car for a week. If it's happening on a semi-regular basis, I've got to see something happen. If I, were yeah. the, if I were the attending mechanic on scene, I would hook up a fuel pressure gauge and a vacuum gauge to this car. I want to see if they're both normal when the condition occurs. What I'm, what I'm thinking about fuel pressure-wise is obvious. Is this thing losing a fuel pump for some reason? Does 
it have a pressure or volume issue? Or, you know, does it have a fuel sample issue? And I could I could test two of those real easy, hooking up a gauge, and the third while it's happening, just watching the gauge. Um, I like to get things out of the way that, you know, instead of guessing what could it be, tell me what it's not. All right? And that's why I like looking at fuel pressure all the time. It's just a good, simple way to go, yeah, you know what? When the problem happened, it had fuel pressure, it had volume, and when I took a fuel sample, it was clear. And I would I would do that now just because there's no rule that says you can't have bad fuel causing an intermittent problem in a vehicle today um, or 10, 15 years ago. It doesn't matter. Get it out of the way. Check fuel pressure. Have your mechanic look at that. I want to know what manifold vacuum is. You don't need to know what it is in the sense of you don't need to know what's good or bad. You just need to know that, and he could do this simple enough. That, you know, Most shops will have a, a simple enough, cheap enough vacuum gauge. Duct tape it to the windshield uh, and take the car for a ride. Just tie it in the manifold vacuum. And you'll know what good is because when the car is running normal and you see 18, 19 inches of vacuum and the car is running normal at idle, guess what? That's good. If you come up to idle when it's in your second mode, as you call it, and all of a sudden it's 14, 15, 16 inches of vacuum, at least you can tell me, hey, Ron, manifold vacuum was low. That gives me a direction, all right? That tells me something. One of the things I have seen that causes intermittent issues with these cars is the catalytic converter, all right? The the catalytic converter on this particular car, this is a 2.0 or a 2.4, the four-cylinder, Yes, sir. It's four cylinder. Yes, sir. Right. Two point liter. Yes, okay. Sir. The catalytic converters will start to crumble and go bad, and they 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 kind of wear like a giant golf ball. And every once in a while, that golf ball rolls around inside the converter housing, and it'll actually plug and restrict the exhaust pipe. Yes, sir. And that'll cause the car to do exactly what you're describing to it. So I'll tell you what, Stevie, hang on. I don't want to let you go. There's a lot going on here. Let me uh, let me come back to you after the pause so we don't just rush this off the air. You stay put. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't go away. To Steve in Virginia. Steve, you're on with the car doctor at 855-560-9900. So to finish, the first thing I'm thinking about is, do we have a cat issue with this car? And yes, I think the reason, I, I, I'm, I'm going to take a stab at this and say, perhaps the reason shutting it off and starting it back up is because exhaust kind of shoves that giant golf ball in the hole and blocks it. And when you go to crank it, all right, the exhaust pulses or the engine cranking over or the physical release of pressure after it's been shut off allows it to fall over the other direction and the car runs normal until it falls back the other shape. I once, and I've had it more than once, but I once recently had a catalytic converter that wore the cat material into kind of like a triangular block. And every once in a while, like a wedge of Swiss cheese, and every once in a while, the thin end of the Swiss cheese went down the pipe, and it had melted, and it, you know, when I took it apart, and wow, look at that, and then every once in a while, it fell along the normal way where air could flow through, and it wasn't an issue. So, um, you know, catalytic converters are, are, are high on my list of things to think about. You can also tell, look at the cat. 
Does the outside shell of the cat, is it discolored? If it looks like it's overheated, bluish orange, that means that cat ran hot for some reason. And, you know, heat will cause a catalytic converter to break up and fall apart. So, uh, you know, the clues might be there. It's just that they got to they gotta want to take a look. All right. I had a twenty. Yeah. I had a twenty fourteen Chevy Malibu in the shop this week with a complaint of low power. Now, no check engine light, no indications. I never experienced it. If I counted on a check engine light to look at that car, then I don't consider myself much of a mechanic. I've got to go look for the clues that are there, if there are any. And sometimes not finding any will tell me what's wrong with the car. Because I know what's okay. good. It's not necessarily always what's bad. In the Malibu's case, everything looked great. I did find one bulletin that might be an issue, and I alerted the customers to what to look for, and they're going to do that in the coming weeks and get back to me and let me know if they experienced that, and that'll tell me what's wrong with it. But the point becomes, just because a check engine light isn't on doesn't mean your car isn't diagnosable or repairable. Let me ask you this question. When you turn the yes, key to the on position without starting it, do you see a check engine light? Yes, I do. You do. So bulb check works, all right? And that's that's always important to note. So we, we, we know that much of it is good. The other thing to think about on older Chryslers and Dodges that was very common, look around the engine compartment and underneath. Any broken ground straps between the engine and the body? And and the at the battery cables, are the connections good? Those are some of the things that, as the vehicles age, they tend to wreak havoc in performance as well. Yes, Last okay. issue, all right? Yes, Using a scan tool. If after this problem, this second mode occurs, and a mechanic goes in and looks at mode six data, all right? You ever been you ever been sick in your life, Stevie? Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, and you, you get that head cold on Wednesday? Yeah, oh, gosh. Well, well yes, Monday you kind of felt like crap, but you didn't really, and you weren't quite sure, and your body's saying, eh, maybe I'm getting the sniffles, I sort of don't feel good. And mm -hmm. then Wednesday it's a full-blown, oh, my God, I just don't want to get out of bed today. That's right, so, yes, sir. So if we looked at your Mode 6 data, we would see that something's coming. Same thing with a car. Mode 6 is the sick indicator. It's the it's the self test that the computer runs to tell the you know central processing brain, hey, Stevie's about to get sick, something's up, and you know a, a mechanic using a scan tool that has the ability to read mode six will be able to look at that and go, yeah, this test looks out of line. Why is that? And 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 that's important. You know, that's see, that's the magic. That's not counting on a check engine light to tell me what's wrong. That's yes, using, just using the thing God put between your ears. So, yes, sir. you know, let's let's do those couple of things. And then yes, last, sir. I have seen intermittent cam or crank sensors in those cars also also create that problem. It's so, funny that you say it's funny that you say that because every other year I replace that sensor because it gets hot and goes bad. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. and then and then you got to, you know, if you have any of those sensors lying around, what if you put one of the other ones back in, does it change the way the car behaves? I'll, I'll, I'll try that, sir. You know, I mean, you could also look at this with a scope if we wanted to get technical and see, do we see something out of time? Do we see something change? You know, it's 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 all repairable, Stevie. It's all right there. Yes. We just got to figure out how to look for it and find it. All right, brother? Yes. Try yes, those sir. things. Thank you. And let me point out, if you want to hear this diagnosis again, 
Uh, a couple hours after this show airs today, if you go to Spreaker.com, you can hit up the podcast. This will be hour one. It happened. It started somewhere about uh, 15 minutes into the broadcast. You can pick up this whole conversation again, download it to your phone, and you know, take it with you and let your mechanic hear it, and maybe it'll help you guys. I'm glad to do what I can for you. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. You take good care. Let us know what happens, Stevie. All right? Yes, sir, I will. All yes, right. Sir. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, I, I just refuse to believe that not every car is repairable. I think everything is repairable. I think what what gets in the way is uh you know, do we stop thinking? Do we stop do we stop testing? Do we, you know, fall into the subject of uh, emotion? Had a customer this week. Nine has been a customer forever. I knew Nina in high school. That's how long I know Nina, right? And I can kind of talk to her like this because we have that relationship. She's got an 03 Honda and the battery died in January, and, you know, she's got a little nervous, and let me look at the car, and I looked at the car. Nina, the battery's bad. It needs a battery. She doesn't really drive it much. She's got this 03 Honda. It's got 72,000 miles on it. Do the math, right? It's, you know, what is it, 15, 17 years old. It's... So this week, she called me up in a panic. Oh, my God, the car won't start. The battery's dead. Something's wrong with the car. Oh, my God. Let me look at the car. Brings the car in. I look at it. The battery went bad. Brand new battery. I explained what new meant, right? Never, ever worked. But how could that be, she said. There must be something wrong with the car because it worked one day and it didn't work the other. And I said, you know, the cemeteries work like that, too. I said, one day you're not and the next day you are. Um, and that's just the way it is. And so one day you'll be here and the next day you won't. And that's just the way it is. It's just like the battery. There's no rule that says how long that battery is going to last. You know, I think I got it now. Okay. I said, do me a favor. Calm down, relax, go out and drive the car. I put a battery in it. If it eats a fourth battery, I've got a couple of things I want to go look for, but I'm betting on a battery. Batteries can't have seven and a half volts standing voltage. I think that was a bad Delco battery, and that's just the way it is. So call it what it is. But, you know, just point becomes there's always a reason. There's always a reason, and we just got to find it. So 855-560-9900. I am Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, and I'll be back right after this. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, rolling along. Let's go over and talk to Bill in Vermont, 08 Nissan Frontier, and a 65 Rambler. Boy, I get a choice. I can do both, or which one do you want to do first, Bill? Welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Good. What's going on? Uh, kind of like to attack the uh, Frontier first. Okay, sure. Go ahead. Let's attack the Frontier. What do you got? Well, I had to do a rear end in it about a month or so ago, and uh, it was rather expensive, about $4,000. Yeah, not, not I had a un- bunch of other work done. Too. Not uncommon. You know, that generation Nissan, the Frontiers and the Pathfinders, they seem to tear up uh, rear ends for whatever reason. Um, I've, I've, um, I've, I've what seen I was that wondering before. Is, do you yeah. have any updates for it? In terms of something stronger? Yeah. So I, my mechanic told me that what it has is there's a, a breather in it that sometimes gets clogged and builds up pressure and blows seals that way. Right, yeah. Um, so what you could do is put a piece of rubber hose on the breather coming out the top and just extend the breather up high. So what I've done is I've taken that breather and just put a piece of rubber hose, extend it up higher, and I'll buy another breather or just some sort of um a, a restriction that won't allow dirt to get in but you know a, a one-way check valve kind of what's in the diff just extending it up 
and tie strap it up out of the way. And then this way, if you're going through deep water, if you're going through, you know, high dusty condition, it's it's tucked up out of the way so it doesn't tend to collect, you know, dust and grit and get restricted. And, it you know, it will help the system so it doesn't do what that did. Okay, but that is a regular problem with those trucks, you said, huh? Yeah, I've seen that before. That's not uncommon. You can purchase a new rear, or you could. It's It's been a year since I did the last one, because those cars are kind of going away down here, up in Vermont. I think they're, you know, in other parts of the country, they're older, and they're probably more predominant. But if I'm not mistaken, that rear new from Nissan was somewhere on the order of 2800 bucks. It wasn't the worst. I just remember, because I was shocked, you could buy something backing plate to backing plate, brand new, bolted in. Hmm. So yeah, the yeah. one I got, uh, my mechanic. I don't know whether he got it from Nissan or not, but it is guaranteed for a year, and it, it came with all the brake parts and everything else. It was a right. full, complete right. rear end. Well, when I say twenty hundred bucks, keep in mind you've got a, you know you've got a, you've got some labor involved. You've got a you know you've got to bolt it in, and, and and like I said, my 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 memory is a year ago. So uh, you, you know, uh, if you paid four thousand dollars parts labor tax, it's not out of the realm of, of of what's out there, and parts pricing can change overnight, as we all know. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so. Well, I didn't figure that was too out of line. Yeah, they do no, a few other things. Not at all. Too. Not at all. Listen, um, driveline drive parts to get truck. to be expensive, so just just keep that in mind, too. Um, you know, be glad you could get them. Anyway, you're Rambler. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. The rear ends are hard to find for that truck. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, back to the truck for a second. Um, the other question I had on that was the uh, headlights on that truck are horrible. And I was wondering if there's anything you can recommend for an update that um, could help, because it seems like the low beam on the truck is better than the high beam. Are the housings clean, clean and clear? Yeah. You know, it's, yes, it's, it's, it's not a case of, so they're just not bright enough? Yeah, it seems like the low beam, like I said, has better penetration and more light than the high beam does. Are they factory headlamp housings? They appear to be, yes. All right. Are you the original owner on the truck? No, I'm second owner. Okay. The reason I ask that is because I have seen vehicles with aftermarket headlamps in them, and I, I haven't found aftermarket headlamps really to work on anything to my satisfaction. The, the way they refract the light and direct the light is abysmal. So before you start beating yourself up and, and trying to, you know, sort this out, if there's a way to, you know, maybe pull the headlamp out, flip it around, is there an original Nissan part number on it? Does it look like factory Nissan? That would be my first step. The second is just take a hard look at them. Are you, and I'm not doubting you, I'm just offering a suggestion, just be sure that those headlamps are clean and clear and that, you know, they're not faded and headlamp uh, restoration isn't, isn't part of this process. One, two, three. Right. I'm just now starting to look at LED headlamps as replacement headlamps for cars. And it's something mm -hmm. somebody had mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago for an older, a 93 Jeep Grand Cherokee, and I'm starting to do some research for Stevie. And, yeah, it makes sense. If, if you can find LED headlamp kits, the, the, the question for you will be is if you put a, an LED headlamp kit, in, kit into that truck, and the headlamps aren't OE, and they can't. You know, if you if, if the piece of quartz is twisted and it can't reflect the, refract the light through it, then putting a brighter light through it doesn't help. It's still going to you know direct it incorrectly, if you understand my meaning. 
So, but yes, LED, LED headlamps can work. LED headlamps uh, do seem to be a good alternative, and they've been out there a while. And you know, the nice part about them is they don't have nearly the current draw of factory headlamps. So we, we're actually we can make do more with less, if if you understand my meaning. So I would investigate LEDs. What's your second question, real quick? Okay, on the Rambler, right. um, she's a beauty. She's a 65,000 stripper. She's got a six-cylinder automatic, power steering, power brakes, AM radio heater, and that's it. Right. <laughs> but I did the carburetor on it. I had it replaced uh, about a year ago, and I can't get the thing to, to run properly. When it's, war- when it's warm, it runs fine. But when it's cold, it just it's a bear to start. Okay. Um, and I'm wondering if uh, you know some basic adjustments or something that I could try on it to improve it a bit. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you what. Let me, let me, I'll tell you what, Bill. Let me just pull over and take this pause. Mikey's giving me the high sign, and when I come back, we'll dive into carburetor theory 101. Don't go away. I'm Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Let's get back into it, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're talking with Bill in Vermont. Bill, you're there, sir. Yes, I am. So the question becomes, the 65 Rambler had the carb rebuilt, and it doesn't really run right when it's cold, but it runs good warm. Yes. Okay. What have you done to try and correct it for the way that it runs cold? Well, uh, basically, uh, I've had a couple people look at it. I don't I don't know carburetors very well myself, so I didn't really want to touch it without uh, some guidance. Okay. Um, do, you have a, do you have a fireplace in Vermont in the house? Um, no, we don't. Really? How can you, Bill, how can you live yep. in a house in Vermont with no fireplace? You ever been in a house with a fireplace in Vermont? Oh, yeah. All right. When they want to get the fire going, what do they do? Well, they uh, open the flue. Right, open the flue, little, little, get a little more airflow through it, right, and the fire picks up and it gets a little hotter in intensity, and it, it seems to kind of yep. percolate along, and then when they want to slow it down, they kind of cut off the air supply. Yep. Right? So... That's how. That's kind of how a carburetor works. We're, we're we're metering and controlling something. In in the case of a carburetor, we're metering and controlling airflow by way of the throttle plate, the piece down at the bottom. Now, in, inside of a carburetor, a carburetor kind of works the way a toilet works. All right. Um, if you're like Tom and you're fascinated by toilets, you would take the lid off the toilet tank and watch it flush. You watch the water run out when the when the ball drops all the way down, it seats, and then it fills back up again. It's just the way a float ball works inside of a carb. There's the fuel supply. There's the, there's the flush. In case of what you're dealing with is you're trying to balance the airflow versus the fuel flow to get optimal burning or optimal mixture. When this car, When you start this car up, you get in it, once to the floor, twice to the floor, whatever it does to take it to start, first thing I would do is have somebody pump the pedal, open up the choke, take a flashlight, open up the choke, look down the throat of the carburetor. Do you see a good solid shot of fuel coming out of the accelerator nozzles? All right? You know, you're, you're, yep. looking, you're looking for a, a burst of fuel. All right? Second thing, start the car. What does the choke pull off do? Or what does the choke do? Does the choke flap open a little bit? It's no different than trying to get a snowblower or a lawnmower going. You're trying to balance the mixture. If you have to, take a screwdriver tip and gently push the choke open a little bit. Does the RPM pick up? Does the engine tend to idle a little bit? And last, make sure the mixture's set right when it's warm, because how it's affected warm will also affect the way it is cold. Do those things. Call me back. I'm Ron and Eating the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 